You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Today, I'm starting a series for Christmas called There Is Hope. And all you got to do is look at the news and realize we all need hope, right? And so we're going to look at a passage in the, in, the, in the book of Matthew. Would you stand for the reading of the word, if you would? We're going to touch on a few verses in chapter 2, and I'll be expanding on this. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Let's read together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray you bless the word today as it is taught. I pray that it helps us to see that in you we can have hope because you will never disappoint. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you be seated. So, I think you can be aware a little bit, the time is, uh, you're thinking, how can Pastor Greg get this message in? Let me ask a favor, how many will give me at least five extra minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, I can get it in, no problem whatsoever. Anyway, I will try to be sensitive, but I am going to run a little over today, so I'm just kind of letting you know that, so you don't get nervous, like, does he know what time it is? Yes, I do, I just don't care. <laughs> As we're looking at this, there is hope. Like I said, one of the things that you can see, you look across the news uh, landscape today, and one of the things that you recognize is, man, it seems like a lot of people's hope that they've put things in, they put hope in stuff, in people, and things are, are, and people are being let down, discouraged. They talk about the economy, inflation, all these sorts of things. I'm not here to give political commentary on that, but I do know that this is affecting people's mindset. And so one of the challenges that you recognize of Christmas is this, is that the difficulties of life don't take a Christmas break. You know, life's issues don't go, oh, it's Christmas, let's give them a 30-day reprieve. Life continues to happen, and sometimes even though it's a, a season when we try to celebrate, it can be very, very difficult to celebrate. And here's what goes on, because some people in the throes of life are conflicted about celebrating Christmas. How can I be celebrating Christmas when I have all this personal stuff that's happening in my life, things that I'm uncertain? 
Some of you may find that this is a season of your life. You, you would say, hey, I've never been so uncertain about my life in all the years I've ever lived. It's right now. And right now, I just don't feel the Christmas spirit. And I hope people don't think I'm being a bah humbug type of person, but I just don't feel like celebrating Christmas because I, I have never had so much stuff coming at me. Can I tell you, you're not the only one who's ever had that happen. And sometimes we forget that the events of Christ's birth were celebratory and yet at the same time tragic. I mean, we get caught up, we, we, we tell the story sometimes in ways that's very, we romanticize it and that's fine, but we sometimes forget Jesus was born and the state immediately tried to kill him. Wow, what a day, what a day of, in, the, in the life of Mary and Joseph. They finally have a, a gift of life being brought into, brought into their household. And you wonder who's the person who let them know. But somebody came along and told them, uh, yeah, the state, Herod, he's uh, like wants to kill your child. And I don't know if he's going to let you live, but I definitely know he intends to kill your child. How many know that'll ruin the, the birth every time? Wow. All my child did was come into the world and breathe, and now the state has declared my child an enemy. And now they have to go on the run. We forget the tragedy that was assigned to this event that we celebrate. It wasn't all celebration. There was, there was some tragic moments inside of it. And so what we see here is the, the story of Christmas as we define it in the Scripture occurs in a time of Jewish history when there wasn't much hope. This was a real low, an ebb uh, in, in Israel's history because they had returned from captivity in Babylon and they had had a couple hundred years run here and things weren't going better. They were wor And now the occupying army of the Romans had come in and they had literally made everybody's life miserable and there wasn't a ray of hope. There was no good trend. There was no hope on the horizon. There was nobody like, hey, maybe this all hope had been lost and now the religious leaders had resigned to the fact that maybe they needed to cooperate with the state just so that they wouldn't be so hard on the people so now the people couldn't even turn to the religious leaders to get the real truth about what was going on because they were in bed with Rome people were absolutely at their wits end like why try doesn't matter can't turn to my religious leaders, can't turn to the, can't turn to the governmental agencies that we have. It's, it's a hopeless cause. The best thing I can do in Israel, stay off the radar. They were hopeless. And then Jesus was born. Jesus was actually born at one of the lowest points in times in history. We hear this, that there was this worldwide census, Okay. Well, basically, Rome, it was, it was not that Rome just wanted to know how many people there were. Rome had two, two things. Number one, Rome wanted to know how much taxation they should be receiving based on the body count. And the second thing that Rome was counting on is this. We need to figure out how many able-bodied men there are in this country just in case there's a rebellion. So the census was not a sincere thing that was going on. It was actually very insincere and had a lot of covert stuff assigned to it. And that's when Jesus is born. It's not exactly the time you would have said, I think this is a great time for the Messiah. You would have said, we need to let this phase pass. But that's when Jesus came. So here's what I'm going to answer very quickly today. And if you're new, the word quickly means nothing. <laughs> Just... I just use words like that to give people hope. 
What do you do when you have to go forward in life and there's no certainty about your next steps? Let's be honest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for a take. How many of you have ever gone to sleep at night knowing there was something waiting on you the next day and you absolutely were clueless on what your next step was going to be? Can I? I just want to see. We got a giant support group going this morning. Yeah. You go, I'm going to bed with no strategy, no plan. All I know is this thing awaits me tomorrow. I don't even know what my first move is supposed to be. I don't even know what my response is to be. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to talk, who to talk to. I don't, even, I don't even know if I have a decision to make. I feel like I'm just letting that happen to me. We've all been there. This, is what, this message is for you if you find yourself there. So first of all, read this out loud. Hope begins with recognizing how God communicates to us. Yes, if you're new to the bridge, let me tell you something. You're looking at a pastor who believes that God talks to people, and you go, oh, really, you've heard his voice. No, I've never heard his voice, but man, have I seen his activity. But in this case, you see in chapter 2, all the, you see activity and you see how God was talking. He talked to the Magi through a star. This was not astrology. This was astronomy. Please know the difference here. They had recognized something very miraculous in the heavens. And they, they sensed that it meant something. So God used the star to get the at- attention of the Magi. The Magi in verse 11 show up at J- Joseph and Mary's house. They were on the lower socioeconomic end of society. The Magi showing up at their house, they're like, are you guys lost? Because people like you don't even come to our village, much less to a house like this. And yet the Magi said, we're here to see your son. I don't know about you, but if you were in that day, you would have said, there must be a God because Magi don't know people like us exist, much less what our address is. And I'm sure these Magi have got a lot of things that they could be doing other than coming to an area of our country, visiting people like us and saying something miraculous. God used people. Then you see in verse 12, they were warned in a dream. Don't go back to Herod and tell him where this child is. In, chapter, in verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph to say, you need to get to Egypt. And in verse 19, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream in Egypt. He said, now you need to leave Egypt and you need to go back to Israel. And then on his way back to Israel, he got warned in another dream and said, well, just don't go to Israel. You better go all the way up to Nazareth. That's your safe spot. Now, I don't know about you, it would be easy to live for God if he got a dream every night, wouldn't it? Especially if there was an angel, but I'm like you, I've never had an angel in my dreams. Well, hold on, I had one, I married her. Some of you men would take well to listen to how your pastor just set that up. Yeah, you need to sit up a little straighter, guys, I'm just telling you. So how does God talk? People say, well, so you, how does God talk? Well, let me give you a couple scriptures very quickly. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, says all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, righteous, and training in righteousness. Do you notice it says is, it does not say was. And we are in a season where we're seeing a lot of spiritual leaders walk away from being that it is, and they're saying it was. And they're divorcing themselves from the fact that the scripture is still active and living and breathing. If I want to know what God wants me to do with my life, 
I can, I can read about him. He'll, he'll guide me through his word. There's other ways that God guides us. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So God uses other people. This is why we do connection groups, because it's a strategic way to get into the environment of other people who have a belief in God like you, a faith like you, and you can learn in conversations with them. But here's the thing, they can learn in conversation with you. Why does a group always have to be about us? We get into it, well, I'm not getting anything out of it. Well, maybe you're there for somebody else. Well, I know, but I need something. Well, let's just make it all about you now. So what happens is this, is when we absent, listen, when we absent ourselves from being around groups of people who are serving Christ and talking and sharing our faith, we, listen, if this is one of the ways that God can answer a crisis in our life, then we are absenting ourselves from getting one of the answers that God might have for us. And you say, God, where are you? And he's going, well, I'm over there in that group, and if you'd get there, you'd get your answer. But since you're not there, you're not getting your answer. Well, God, I have a busy schedule, and says, God, and you think you're busy, So God uses other people, and God uses us in the lives of other people to sharpen and make us better. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. If you could put some, a definition to that, it's called the divine urge. It's that when you're doing something, or you were driving, or you were in a store, gas station, where you work, there's something that has unfolded a thousand times in front of you, and today you decide to step in and do something about it. And, you, and if I had the chance, I would say, so why did you do something today? You've driven by people in need like that a thousand times. You've walked away from people who were in need a thousand times, but today you made that person's need your business. Why? I don't know. It's like there was this voice was talking to me and I need to do something and nobody else would do it so I stepped in I said oh so you God prompted you well maybe it was my conscience maybe it was God talking to your conscience God has a way it's almost like inside of us something screams do something and you do well let me ask you where did that come well it must have been how I was raised Well, I'm glad you said that because in John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit sometimes reaches into our past and brings up something that says, step up, make a difference, help the person, care, get involved. And you've walked by it a thousand times, but today you didn't. Because you said, I felt like I needed to do something. Well, where did the feeling come from? Trust me, the devil didn't tell you. That's what I'm saying. We start to go, well, yeah. And you know what I find? I find people who aren't even serving Christ have the Holy Spirit's talking to them. And they they don't know it's the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know. I just had to, I said, what if I could show you that that was the Holy Spirit speaking to you? They go, all right, let me show me. And I show them, they go, oh, you know, but I'm not serving God. I said, oh, I don't, just because you're not serving God doesn't mean he's not talking to you. And it sounds like he talked and you listened. Just imagine if you did it intentionally. Everybody said amen. Number two, we read this. Hope gets tested with heartache. I'll wait for the amens to die down. There's an adversary 
In John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His job is to, you got hope? Watch me try to take it from you. He doesn't go, well, we got hope, let's move on. No, he says, they got hope, we need to steal it, we need to kill it, we need to destroy that person's hope. We need to wreck them. And you read this in verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Imagine this, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, God's son has been born. And the enemy says, well, I know how to stop that celebration. I'll go to this village and we're going to kill every male child two years of age and under. And you go, how could God let that happen? Why didn't God step? I'm just saying, do you understand in life the enemy will try to bring heartache to steal your joy? And then you almost say, well, then my joy must be manufactured. No, you need to know when your joy is being assaulted. And that the enemy is after it. What should have been a celebration, he brings things into your life and he tries to assign heartache. Instead of that being a date of celebration, he wants it to be a day of heartache. I could tell you so many stories of people in this congregation who have said, what was a celebration turned into such a tragedy? And let me tell you that this is why we serve God. Because sometimes we do get the rug pulled right out from under us. And you better have somebody catching you. And the third thing is this. God's master plan is unveiled through daily obedience. When you go to sleep at night and you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, you don't even know what the first decision needs to be, can I tell you, just walk in obedience. Don't try to predict what you need to do next week, next month. Try to figure out what would a day of obedience look like today that by the time I go to bed tonight, I have peace about the decisions I made today. Did I make all the decisions that need to be made in regards to a context? No, but I can make the decisions that I need to today so I can put my head on the pillow tonight and go I have peace I have no regret about what I did I can't live next week I can live today which means I need to make sure my decisions today. and when you have day after day after day of obedience it's amazing what God can do in your life I don't know about, I wish God would just give me a master plan that shows me everything that's coming and then I could just navigate everything and see I'm one of those guys I don't like surprises we go on vacation. I'm the guy who plans where we're getting gas in advance. I plan where we stop. See, she's on vacation when she gets in the vehicle. I'm on vacation once I get there. So I have it planned out. This is where we pull over for bathroom breaks. This is where we pull over for gas. This is where we pull over because I know the restaurant is good there. I hate lousy coffee when I'm driving. And I really hate lousy food, so I have, you know, I have this, and I, and I, I write out, you know, we should arrive by, you say, boy, you're fun to travel. You bet I am. <laughs> when I don't do that, she'll say, well, where are we? So, I said, well, I didn't put one together. What? We're traveling and you don't have a plan? What are you doing? She has grown so accustomed to that right now. And I want God to give me the same plan. And so, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I hear God say, will you just sit down and shut up? Yeah. 
uh, excuse me, Lord, I'm a guy who likes to make decisions, make things happen, make things, you know, the maximum possible. And God says, sit down and shut up. Just do what you can today. Trust me with the rest. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. You wired me this way. And God says, yeah, I can also unwire you too. (laughs) Stop trying to control everything. Do what you know you can do today and let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Just make your decisions today. We're going to play a video of of a testimony of somebody in our church, I told you in the dedication, the Lahoos family, the little girl that they were holding. Powerful story. Some of you, because of being in a connection group with them, you know their story. Many of you don't. And I just want to let you know, we didn't script them. We said, would you just tell the congregation what God did? Their daughter was born. I was actually with them at the Valentine's banquet, and they got the call that they needed to get in. And uh, their baby was born two days later. They gave that baby 48 hours. And leading up to that, they said, you may not want to run the risk. You might want to terminate the pregnancy. Why would you put yourself through such heartache to only have a child for 48 hours knowing it's not going to live? And so listen to the journey of daily obedience. This is a, an enzyme that helps her digest stuff. She doesn't produce it well herself. She might take a nap. She's got all her crazy toys in the way. <laughs> I'm Jessica Lahus. This is my husband, Derek Lahus, and our baby, Tabitha. And we've lived here in Warrenton for about three and a half years. About Thanksgiving of 2019, we were having ultrasound for our third baby and when we did that ultrasound we found out there were some markers of some problems and a likely chromosomal abnormality it was pretty clear she had you know a little bit of a wrist issue she was missing her nasal bone and we weren't clear but probably a heart defect also so all of those together said yes trisomy 18. so we kind of embarked on a journey of figuring out what that diagnosis meant and what would happen because of that. So the rest of the pregnancy was kind of a whirlwind of just trying to to figure out what to do. There was a doctor in particular who didn't really want us to have her. He suggested that we terminate the pregnancy um, and kind of encouraged us along those lines. He said that he thinks God would understand in this circumstance and that really shocked me. I said I had to pick my job off the ground because I was like, God would understand. Like I don't remember there being an asterisk next to the directive to choose life. You know, you can't, you can choose life if, you know, if your baby doesn't have a chromosomal abnormality. Unless it's hard. Or if it's gonna be hard or they're gonna be disabled, like there is no qualifier to that. The directive is to choose life. So that surprised me, but it also steeled our resolve that no, we're gonna choose life. And as long as it is in our sphere of decision-making to do so. We viewed her life as a gift from God and we were going to give her the best chance we could for as long as he entrusted her to our care. Uh, February 14th, we've got the uh, church Valentine dinner, uh, and I get a call during that, and I go over and I take it, uh, and we find out there are some uh, indicators on the latest ultrasound saying that she's got a a serious problem. Our doctor says, 
if we want to see her, uh, we need to have her. Thankfully, everyone rearranged their schedules and we had her that day. She was only 33 weeks, so she was prematurity on top of what all else could be going on with her trisomy. Jess goes one way for recovery. Uh, the baby goes another way. So I'm torn as to which way to go, um, but I end up going with Tabitha to, to the NICU to, to the first minutes and hours of her life. And that led into learning how to have one of us live basically at UVA each day while the other one stays here and deals with the family and remotes in to see her, but sit bedside, learn what uh, we need to for taking care of her. And that was a, a few months, what, four months in the NICU? Four and a half months. Mm -hmm. It was really a roller coaster, I would say, because there are times when you just feel torn apart, you feel overwhelmed, you don't know what the right decision to make is. So I, I felt crazy. I would say it's, it's a wild ride. We also view her as a gift entrusted to us by God to care for and to do our best with. Um, and so that was kind of our framework of just she's, she's valuable, she's one of our children, disabilities or not. Um, got a we, duty as her parents. We have that duty as her parents to do whatever we can to help her. I think our church community, all of you guys, were incredibly loving to us. Um, we got a lot of dinners from a lot of different people, two different times actually, one time when she was born and one time when she came home from the NICU. So that was an incredible blessing. Um, we had a lot of prayer support. Pastor Danielle came here to pray. We had, later on in the journey, we had a meeting with Pastor Greg to kind of help steal our you know, path forward and help us figure out some questions that had come up for her care in that stage. Um, so it's we've had tons of support from family and friends um, just affirming our decision and helping us to get through the hardest parts. We even had a parade. We had some people from church come and with some neighbors and they, it was during COVID so they couldn't be nearby but they had cars and balloons and everything that they came by to welcome her home from the NICU so that was really special too. You know, even though she has all of these medical needs and things, she's such a happy baby. She's easily the happiest of our three. It's really amazing to see that even though she has these challenges, she's content and happy with her life. So it's really uh, actually inspiring to me as her mom. Our boys are going to be hopefully better men for having this experience with their little sister, um, more loving and loyal and compassionate and all of those things that we've always been praying for that our kids would be. So I feel like in a way she's kind of a, a God style answer to those prayers. I think my, one of my biggest pieces of advice that I give out to parents who receive this is that choose the path of least regret because if you choose abortion, there will be a world of unanswered questions that you will have about what the outcome could have been. How severe was it really? What would their future look like? And in our case, you know, it didn't turn out the way that they said it would. So I'm glad and I will always be grateful that we had the opportunity to have a lot of those questions answered, even if her life ends up being short. You've done what you can. Sometimes it's not enough, but you did try. Life is valuable. It's worth living. Trust God that 
whatever the outcome is that he's in it. And that's my, my biggest takeaway is that I relentlessly trust in his hand. I've watched that so many times so that I wouldn't do this. <laughs> and today you got to see a miracle of a child being dedicated that he said wouldn't make it over 48 hours. It's my last point, and I'm just going to wrap it up. I won't unpack it too much. But hope is a product of trust. And it's what you put your trust in. It's that, I love what they had to say. Be careful about choosing a path that leads to regret. Following Jesus was never, we never said it would be easy. But I can tell you this, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And you saw the power of community from this church, the groups. I I know it didn't make the video, but I saw some of the photos of when the parade was happening up and down their street. And I know people, oh man, I would love to be a, well, get in a group. See, you gotta get, you gotta get your boots at ground zero where people hurt so that when it happens, you're right there, okay? We didn't do a church call, they, it was just a group of people that was in their group with them and just said, hey, she's coming home with the baby, let's have a parade, they did it. They didn't ask for church approval. I'm pretty sure they didn't pull a permit with the city. You just, you gotta get your boots at ground zero, man, where if you need something, you got a community, or if somebody else needs something, you say, I'll be in that parade. I'll do that. I'll be there. But you can't do it if you're disconnected. Christianity is not about observance. It's about participation. Everybody catch that? Participation. And you get to see the activity of God like that. Come on, let's everybody stand this morning. Would you do that as I wrap up the service? Hey, can we all just take a minute and lift our hands and just praise him for his miraculous power? You can talk all you want about miracles. You just saw one. Come on, let's praise him for that today.